I'm Chad. And I'm Cheese. And we are the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Our podcast covers news, startups, AI, automation, programmatic, and all the things the kids are excited about. (laughs) And then we drown it with a healthy dose of snark, attitude, and four-letter words. Subscribe to the Chad and Cheese Podcast today, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Whether it's the fact that I'm getting very close to episode 200 or year five of this podcast or simply that I've done the same types of things over and over and over again, i.e. monologuing mostly to myself, um, it's time for a change. Or at least it's becoming time for a change. So what I wanted to do is thank you all for listening. I've got two interviews lined up for this week and next week. And then I think we're going to figure out where this all lands. I've got a lot of changes in mind. I've got a lot of ideas percolating. So I just want to let you know that we are making some changes. But in order to make your life better and my life better and everybody's life better, these two interviews are are really people I've wanted to talk to on the podcast for a very, very long time. This week, this episode, what you're about to listen to is the one and only Chiru Malhotra. She is, she'll introduce herself, but she is someone I have read her stuff for years and years and years, and we have maintained a, a long distance mutual admiration society, I guess. And I am just thrilled to, to bring her to you if you haven't met her, if you haven't engaged with her. Uh, it, it, she, she's great. She is one of the people I look to when I think, Gosh, I'm stuck. What? Who do I talk to now? Who? Who's going to help me break my 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 logjam and my head up? And, and and Charu is one of those people. So I'm thrilled that you're going to get a chance to listen to it. So this is obviously pre-recorded. This is kind of the thing I do to wrap it around. So I just wanted to intro you to this and let you know what's about to happen. So with that, here we go. Welcome to the Talent Cast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis. And I've been doing employer brand for years now, and I absolutely love the industry. I love how it's growing. I love how it's changing. And I've tried to do my part to elevate the concept, to get everybody to understand the power employer brand can have in hiring, attracting, and retaining talent. So we try to really focus on driving home the idea that this is a calling and a craft. It's a lot of getting your hands dirty, but it's also a lot of big strategic thinking. And that's where we kind of live, that kind of uh, Venn diagram, the intersection between those the big ideas and the getting the details right so we talk a lot about employer brand and how to do it right and how to think about it and how to look at your problems in a whole new way ready to rock one two three let's go and as always james ellis here recording live from chicago housekeeping is real simple there's some show notes there are two events or webinars i'm doing feel free to click on them it would be lovely to see you it would be lovely for you to hear me as if you don't get enough of that in this sort of podcast but The other two things are obviously the newsletter, completely different content, and I think as it has evolved and it's now in year two of the newsletter, it's starting to kind of figure itself out and take on its own personality. So as the podcast changes and the newsletter changes, I think we're in for some really interesting facts and stuff and materials and useful resources for you. So go and sign up. It's go to employerbrand.news. Just go ahead and sign up and it's free. There you go. And as you know, the book, still on Amazon, go get it. Go to bit.ly slash talent chooses you. You can get that one or you can get the one on how to work with recruiters, which is a lot more detailed. If you have read it and you liked it, please, please review it. Good uh, good books or, uh, I'm sorry, not good books, good reads or Amazon, both will work. They're technically owned by the same company, but they don't integrate, whatever. We love that review. That's that's really what gets other people to see and, and notice that this book even exists. So I'm not making any money on this thing. I'm not spending any more marketing money on it. So anything you can do if you thought it was useful, if you thought it was valuable, 
reviewing it would be fantastic. So with that, we're going to get along to the actual interview, the meat of the stuff. So um, I think I say it first thing, but I'm super pumped to have Charub. So I hope you enjoy this interview. All right. So, um, gosh, I, I am so so excited to talk to Charu Mahatra. I have been a fan and friends with her for a very long time. We have uh, known each other online for a very long time, and I've wanted to have her on this podcast for at least two years. I think I've teased this interview for almost two years, so here we are finally at last uh, to connect. So I want to introduce uh, Charu, if you don't know her. She is Former employer brand leadership over at Unilever, BP. Uh, I'm going to say Ferro, Ferrero. I, you know, Ferrero, yes, Ferrero, company, sure. Ferrero. Yeah, yeah, but you Brits, you have different ways of saying things. We don't, we don't. We, for all, ever, all the the Yanks here know about uh, Ferrero is the Ferrero Rocher, the little gold hazelnut chocolate. That's that's like the full brand impression we get over here. Um, and she's currently consulting at McKinsey, so you know a couple of nice brands you may have heard of, a couple of places that seem to be putting out some great talent. Uh, honestly, it's a heck of a resume. She's done amazing work, and I'm super excited to have her here. So, uh, Charu, hello. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Hello, and uh, thank you very much for having me. So, looking forward to talking to you, James, and hearing stuff about you. You It'll be great. Good conversation, I hope. Oh, goodness. I hope not, because people on my, on, who listen to this podcast are so sick of hearing from me and about me. So, <laughs> we'll see if we can limit it a little bit. Um, you know, I have a couple questions here, but let's just start with the easy one, which I think is actually not that easy. And that is, when did you first become aware of employer brand? I, it, it's a thing that, you know, if you talk to people, no one says they went to school for it because, frankly, they don't really have much in the way of school for it. Everybody kind of backed into it. So when did it enter your consciousness? Yeah, I mean, I think I was very fortunate because my first in-house role was at BP. Um, so that was about 12 years ago. And I worked in a huge global recruitment team. And we had some of the most impressive leadership team that I was fortunate to learn from. They were looking at talent much more holistically before anybody else was. Mm. And we were talking about candidate experience and the numbers behind it and auditing it and validating it and testing it. Um, way before I think a lot of other organizations were taking it seriously. And I think when you start talking about candidate experience and thinking about how do you improve it and projects around it, then naturally how your consumer brand, your corporate brand and your recruitment brand intersect. So I, I came aware of it in my first in-house role because you can't talk about how do you improve your talent brand and um, what do candidates think about you in leadership context without talking about, actually, this is an employer brand that's just as pivotal as the corporate brand. So um, maybe it wasn't called employer branding then. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we were you know, referring to it as a sort of you know, talent brand or the, 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 the lens around candidate experience. Um, but it was something that was very important in every conversation we were having with our talent leadership team and the engineering leadership team. So yeah, uh, yeah I, was, I was fortunate to, to sort of come across it there. Yeah, and I think it's 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 telling on a couple levels that you refer to it and seeing it as a holistic way of approaching talent, which I think is completely true. I just don't think we bring it up very often. Right now, we've we've you know Simon did a great job kind of productizing the idea of employer brand, and and over here we've really started to invest in employer brand, but we don't see it and talk about it enough as a holistic function. So if it is holistic, how do you know? 
I guess, you know, and I don't know how to put this, but how do you know that it's working, right? The the holistic idea is that it touches so many things and is impacted by so many things. How do you get to stand back and what is the thing you look for to say, you know what, we're moving in the right direction. Maybe there's a tweak, maybe there's a, uh, an adjustment that needs to be made, but how do you know you're you're doing it right? Yeah, and I think I'm going to answer with data is really important here. And how you know you're doing it right obviously has lots of different assets and, and facets to it. Mm-hmm. But when you're trying to improve something, if you don't measure it, and I'm not saying anything here that's um, remotely a surprise, um, measurable data, measurable benchmarks is you know very much a barometer of how you, how well you're doing. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you have to really pull upon that sort of that tension that everybody has around, well, you know, recruiters, we've got so many applicants, how do we uh, respond to that? You know, they're, they're about bringing mm-hmm. the right people in. Is it really representative of um, our brand if we're getting thousands and millions of applicants? We can't be good to everybody yeah. with the, okay, well, if you want to be a serious player, if you want to be a contender, if you want to be a brand, um, and I'll go on to talk about this in a moment because I've been doing a lot of reading around lighthouse brands. Um, mm. If you want to be taken seriously, then measuring the perception, measuring on how well you're doing in that talent traction space, that employer branding space is, is, is really is really key. And I think I, I will go back to both Unilever and BP that we took data seriously. We weren't enthralled to data, but we were forensic about data. And when you look at employer branding holistically, um, you do then sit and work really closely with your teams in talent and learning and performance management because that um, funnel, and I know you don't like the funnel, but that funnel of broader funnel, I mean, where, okay, you've hired X number of people, you know, what are that cadre doing in, in sort of two years time? Most organizations can't measure the source to sort of two years later, are they high performers? Can we backtrack to, you know, where are those, where, which unis do those people come from? Which organizations, what qualifications did those people get? Which line managers are really, nurturing talent but uh, as i said the two organizations that i you know learned the most out if you will really did um and that virtuous circle of of talent if you think about it as a circle is is makes employer branding measurable because then you're like okay the source of so and so type of talent is telling us this but you can only do that if you're talking and working and partnering with um other people in that hr function and business yeah, but that's such a long life cycle to kind of measure. I mean, you wouldn't want to walk into a company and start to work on their EB and say, I'll let you know in two years if this is working. That They would laugh you out of the room. They'd be like, that, that's nice. I wish I had that job. Um, you know, so and I, the, the data points of it, things like, you know, a uh, number of applicants or engagements on social media or all this, mm. you know, some of the, 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 the little data points that we can point to to say that channel is working or that tactic is working or that campaign is working. You know, I get that completely. But, you know, is there anything that kind of sparks to mind that you, when you think of this is the way that you're, you know, even if it's not a directly a number, but simply a way to say, I know this is working because I'm starting to see, you know, effectively sprouts in the dirt, right? They're not plants yet, but they're starting to kind of crack out of their shell. And I know we're in the right direction. How do you look for that stuff? Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, it's, it's a very valid pushback. You know, I, I don't think I, I would be able to say and haven't ever said, I will be able to tell you this is success in two years time. Yeah. I think <laughs> one of the things to take away for anybody that's working in employer branding is never, talk about it as a project. 
mm. um, because then that feels um, and very much lends itself to a it has a end date. So yeah. I think it's a very much that kind of you know it's again holistic. It's a program. It's a you know it's something that's part and parcel of your organisation. But the green shoots you know very much around okay well kind of, what type of interaction are we getting on the channels that we want to be engaging with talent again not a huge fan of being everywhere just for the point of it um i think there's a massive amount if you think about um employee advocacy there's a a really good sense of uh, and i saw a brilliant report this morning on you know, tech employees you know who's sharing content how many employees are on those channels that you're saying um that you're keen to sort of spend more time on are actually sharing content are actually um actively being a passionate uh, brand ambassador um how many hiring managers and, and, and managers and leadership teams are listening to what you're saying and, and, and sharing on social of course those are those are touch points but i think also you know, website intervention things like Glassdoor reviews um but i i also feel very strongly about an- anecdotal now that's that's why d- data and stories and storytelling um comes into play together so I've always encouraged my recruitment teams and the employer branding individuals that I've worked with in all the global teams to make sure that we're talking to candidates surveying candidates um, you know we had hit days if you will where it would um, uh, carve out uh, half a day in, in, in let's say quarter where we would ring up candidates and ask for their feedback and mm. probe into some of the answers of the survey. So I suppose the answer to, to your question is many green, green shoots, but you have to look at them uh, from a prioritization perspective. Nobody, yeah. and, and I include myself, can afford to do everything at once. Your leadership yeah. team yeah. wants results. So it's okay, well, these are the five things that are the biggest priority. And of course, things like universal data, looking at data on, you know, where, where's your share of voice? You know, who, who's talking about you? What's the influence you've got? But um, um, one of the things I think is very much around that employee uh, voice. Um, gone are the days where you can just broadcast and say to your uh, steering committee and your board and the C-suite, okay, we're, we're really ra- loud on Twitter and LinkedIn and we've spent, <laughs> you know, these thousands with LinkedIn, so therefore we're winning. Um, I think there's a lot more um, integrity behind what people are expecting from us um, yeah. when it comes to communications now. And, and, so, and, and that's rightly so. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. I, I love that idea of taking time to, to talk to candidates and, and not just going through a survey. It sounds like it's really more of a conversation. So you're having to actively listen to how they saw the experience, how they embraced the experience. Did it align with what they were hearing? So I think so much of what we do because employer brand is so broad, right? It gets mm. social media and videos and website content and writing job posts. Like it is so many different jobs that we end up trying to find ways to productize everything. So it's just, okay, just run this survey, run this exit survey, run this uh, pulse survey, run, just do these things. And it, it it games the system a little bit. It allows you to, to box everything you're trying to do in a couple of yes or no questions, which really leaves out so much of the, the, the insights and the essence of what you're trying to do. If you're trying to create that desire, if you're trying to create people uh, make people excited about your role, getting them to answer questions in a, you know, in, uh, like a simple survey where it's one to five rate, rate your experience is so limiting. It's like when I go to have a, a poor customer experience and they say, do you want to take a survey? And I'm like, I'm having a horrible time at this. So yes, I absolutely want to take the survey. And this, the question is, did you get your question answered? It's like, yeah, <laughs> but it took 10 times longer than it should. And the person was super snotty to me and they made me run through all these things I told them I had already done, but that's not part of the question. It's, did you get an answer? And so by limiting focus to surveys, you, you limit the insight which that you can get. So I think I love that idea of, of 
calling up candidates and talking. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, and I think what I would add, though, James, is yeah. I'm sure a lot of people on, on this call, both of us included, have had license to do surveys. I think mm -hmm. it's also having the space, um, earning the space, creating the space with the leadership teams, the decision makers uh, who are maybe holding the budget strings, um, who are who need to listen about the, the fears about the consumer and the corporate brand to say, OK, um, it's not about the Gantt chart and, and, and the wonderful slides mm -hmm. that you're going to get from the surveys, but also the, the texture and, and the context yeah. between what people are saying. So I think that's why um, a survey, yes, absolutely is a tool, but it can be a blunt tool. And that's why it's very supportive and, and have actively encouraged, OK, now we're going to, and this has been done globally, pick up the phone and ring this tranche of candidates and, of course, select them and prioritise them for a particular um, area so that when you're then presenting to the board or presenting to that steering committee, um, there's texture behind the numbers and, and the texture behind the, gra you know, the, yeah. the graphs and the Gantt charts. Uh, otherwise, then, how do you push back on we're not a commodity if all you're doing is presenting data as a commodity? And so often I've seen when presented with data and it's data they don't like, it's not that the problem is them, it's the problem is the data. Oh, we need more surveys. Oh, we need to yeah. ask a better question. Oh, and they, they find ways of talking their way around having to listen to what the survey is telling. And even with texture, it's, you know, it's, it's anything that's methodological or, um, yeah, they, they're looking for reasons to not have to take action. That, that unfortunately is, is a big failing with data is that it's not that no one knows how to get it. It's that, that they refuse to listen to it. Yeah, and I think um, one of the things I, I learned and I use in, in, in a lot of my senior meetings now is is that whole elegant tension area where you know mm -hmm. that they want to see the positives. Who doesn't want to hear about how great the organization is? And, and often mm -hmm. when you're talking to people on the board or at you know, a very senior level, they are very passionate about the organization. Many of the organizations I've worked in, the senior level um, execs have been there a long time or, yeah. or, or tenured. So it's very hard for them to filter their fears when you're showing data mm. that's perhaps negative. So I think it's it's very much around there's an elegant tension. You do not want to walk in just with um, lots of data that's giving you negative. But that context behind, OK, the reason why this is low is it's taking us three months to get an offer letter out. It's taking yeah. us X amount of time for a hiring manager. Yes, he might be in a different country to organize his one to ones. So I think, you know, it's it's um, telling the leadership team to filter their fears, but mm. also recognizing us us as employer branding leaders that we have to always face off that on that elegant tension you know on a daily basis certainly i have yeah i love that term elegant tension i once had an, a, a job interview many years ago with a company i'm not going to name and they said hey do a quick audit of our employer brand it was the final stage of the the interview and i went and i built a laundry list of all the things that they were doing wrong or your socials you know you got you're saying this but you really should be saying this um there's no the video is super old dot 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 and on the i didn't get the job because they said you were too negative i said you asked <laughs> me to audit the brand i i'm not here to tell you how you're good my job i can't fix the things that are good my here my job is to tell you where you're you're having problems so i can fix it and i, I was just so blown away by that conversation it's like okay but i think the way you put it that elegant tension uh encapsulates it very nicely i think that that's that's a skill we could all probably instill a little, <laughs> a little, a little more strongly um so what's the first, I mean, because employer brand is so big, what's the first thing you do when you look at an employer brand, whether it's one you're about to, uh, you know, adopt or take ownership of, whether you're just looking at a competitor, whether you're just, someone said something nice about this company, I'm going to go look at their employer brand. What is your first step just to kind of get a, a sense of what they're all about and, and what's working? 
Yeah, I think it's very much acting as if the I was a candidate or um, a consumer. So I, I think it's really important, like most marketeers, we live and die by content and copy, and we think everyone thinks like us. Mm-hmm. So you know, starting you know in in Google or in the, the search that a, a typical candidate would do. So looking at the different areas, you know, going to the website, going to their link, LinkedIn, going to their different social channels, going to Glassdoor, going to various of channels to re- read up about what that organisation's doing. You know, going to YouTube. And I think really just trying to do a bit of a dance across different areas, different touch points and seeing if they're consistent. Um, what are they saying about themselves? And then being a bit sort of cheeky around and actually looking at particular things on, on LinkedIn to see if it matches what, from a corporate comms perspective or recruitment comms perspective, the employees are saying. I think LinkedIn's made it slightly easier now to see if there's a, a disingenuous um, element going on with what the corporate's saying versus what a, a disgruntled employee or a employee saying on, on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, you know, what's the first thing when you go internally? I think that's obviously a different space. It's I, I firmly believe it's making sure that everyone understands employer brand is not just recruitment advertising. Sadly, mm-hmm. a lot of organisations still <laughs> feel that, that that once you've done a campaign or once you've done a, a few adverts, that's it, job done. So, um, you know, wonderful way of doing this is something I've learned from Richard Rose at Universum is taking a lot of screenshots of the, the, the com- key competitors of that organization's job adverts, um, and often their website have done that too. Uh, and if you just show that in one slide or in a couple of slides to the leadership team and say, you know, where is there any differentiation here? Mm-hmm. Um, because often it looks the same, the messaging is, is very similar. Yes, you might have a color palette that's different because they've owned their brand, um, but actually, until you can show the leadership team, you know, employer branding isn't just about um, a couple of campaigns and recruitment adverts and owned by talent acquisition, but by everybody. And this is what we're saying to the external market. How different do we really look and how different should we look if we want to stand out um, is a good starting point, because believe it or not, not everyone understands what, it mean, what we mean by employer branding. So just getting them on the right, on the right page and talking mm-hmm. their language about differentiation. Do they want to be different? Yeah. Interesting. Um, you mentioned earlier lighthouse brands, and you're very, very interested in lighthouse brands, and that's not a term I've ever heard. So, can you fill me in on on what you mean by that and what you're looking at? Yeah, I, I was sort of reading a couple of articles um, over the last couple of months around, uh, you know, thinking about marketing, thinking about brand, thinking about culture, and I'm naturally curious. I sort of have quite a sort of a meandering mind around this sort of intersection between culture and, and brand because, you know. I think sometimes we think that we're the first people to talk about this. Um, just like, you know, candidate experience has been talked about for decades or certainly decade and a half in my experience. Culture and, you know, branding, people have been talking about for 20, 30 years. It's only recently in the last 10 years, HR has jumped on, I want to say a bit of a bandwagon, an important bandwagon, and we've made it our own. But I think if you, you only need to read the, the marketing manifesto that you wrote about a month or so ago, um, which is really a, a, a really good roadmap to how do you convince your CMO about employer branding that I don't think we're talking the same language. So kind of a lighthouse brand. And again, I'll, I'll, I've forgotten the name of the book, um, but it's sort of fascinating in terms of it's a, sort of a brand that's a challenger brand, if you will, mm-hmm. but is so um, consistent and succinct and out there with its communications. So you know, consistently communicating. So I always there, not just sort of drip feeding things when it feels like it needs to or when there's a crisis. 
consistently, i.e., it's immediately recognisable. You know, with, you know we're, I don't need to see the Nike logo to know this is a Nike video or a Nike uh, advert. And of course, all the Americans on this uh, podcast listening will be going, Nike? Who the hell's Nike? I know I'm pronouncing it differently. No, no, that's, no we, we call it Nike. <laughs> it's, it's Adidas that we get confused by. We call it Adidas. Okay, perfect. Well, I, yep. I, I will, it works for Adidas as well. Um, yeah. But a lighthouse brand is so consistent um, and constant and succinct in his message that the candidate or in, in the uh, context of this article, it was talking about consumer, but I believe it works for candidates, becomes aware of um, that organization, that brand, whether it likes it or not. So it's almost that it's a lighthouse because it's sort of it's shining and it's making you aware of it. Whether you're you whether you were out there looking for a job or not, whether you were out there interested in that new uh, piece of tech or that new speaker or that uh, fab new um, sort of kitchen uh, tool or whatever you're going to buy, mm -hmm. that's what a lighthouse brand is. And I think it, for me, it works very well in the employer branding space because we do need to be consistent. And I think COVID has demonstrated how consistency and recruitment comes has become more and more important when um, how you talk to candidates that are uh, not hearing from you because you don't know what's going on because we're all in a fog. How does that work? You know, I think that kind of whole consistency around being very, very, very conscious that you can't just be um, shining brightly in this talent space when you've got jobs. Is, is, is a really nice sort of example for me in terms of um, the great brands that are doing recruitment comms constantly and other ones that you're going to keep coming back to, not just when they've got a small campaign and put that light on and switch that light switch on when they need something, when they need you, they're actually mm -hmm. giving something back. Um, and that's why that, that whole kind of lighthouse piece makes me feel like it, it would work for candidate marketing as well as consumer branding. Gotcha. And is that um, Adam Morgan from Eat Big Fish? Is that that? Was that Adam Morgan? No, it rings a bell, yes. Yeah. Yeah, his stuff is I, – I, I love his stuff. The, the book he wrote after that was um, Pirate Inside, which I thought was the greatest book of tactics any employer brand without a budget could leverage. It's to realize that, look, it's, it's the napkins at your coffee shop say just as much about the coffee you pour into the cups. It's the bathrooms and the cleanliness and the, the cheekiness of your level of the wrapper and all that stuff really enters into what that brand is. So – to me, I think interesting. I, I don't think I'd come across Lighthouse, but I'm surprised because I'm such a big Adam Morgan fan. So I'm kind of Googling while you're talking to try and figure what that is. <laughs> uh, the other person, and again, just, I could talk about books forever, so we, we must yeah. stop. But uh, the other one that I've been reading a lot of, it's probably the third time I've read it, is a book called Del Delusions of Brandia. Um oh. And that's, uh, again, it's almost like a do not, do not know, do not do this for branding. Um, <laughs> don't use the word innovative. Uh, mm -hmm. Don't use the word, you know, buzzwords and so on. But it's by a brilliant guy um, who I started following on Twitter about five years ago and just sort of fell in love with his content. And uh, he wrote this book this year. Um, his name's Ryan Woolman. And, okay. uh, you know, every single one of those pages um, I I've written and, and, and scribbled on and underlined. <laughs> so uh, definitely, you know, want, want to kind of download and, and, and read because it's, 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 it's actually very funny, but also um, brilliantly insightful. And I'm absolutely in lust with the title. I think that's that's clever as hell. I can't. I, yeah. I, I'm in. I'm. You know, it's, that's one of those titles. Where you're like, oh, why can't I have thought of something like that? That's, totally. that's so. Like the second you see it, you're like, duh. Of course, that's that. <laughs> oh, of course. Um, okay, cool. So, yeah, well, you're a book person. So, give me another book or two that you love, or maybe surprising. I mean, I I love 
to me, the best employer branding books aren't employer branding books. They're about something else, and it, it sparks an idea. It sparks a, a new perception and how to approach your job. I think employer branding is so much about not checklisting your job, but about bringing the right viewpoint to it. So what are some books that have helped you know change your viewpoint or really inspired you to, to do better work? Yeah, so I, I love words, and about four or five years ago, I started getting more immersed into the world of copywriting and you know, learning more, doing courses, following great copywriters. And I did a copywriting course and I asked that question that you asked me, you know, what, what, are, the, what are the great books and mm. um, that I should be reading? I'm a bookworm, yada, yada, yada. And one of the responses I got from the tutor was like a book that was nothing to do with copywriting called The Design of Everyday Things. I love um, that book. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I, Is that Don I Norman? Like, really? Yes. Don Norman. Oh, yeah. It's amazing, yeah. isn't it? Yes. So, um, yes. Again, for it's kind of like I, I don't think, and I was about to do a, a really big conference this summer, but because of COVID and well, sure. uh, other circumstances, that didn't happen. I actually was going to name check. Um, I think recruiters and employer branding people should not read anything about employer branding for about six months, apart from your content, of course, no, and actually please. go there and read other stuff. You know, things got yeah. nothing to do with employer branding. So that the design of everyday things is is such a it's such a fabulous, interesting book. Mm -hmm. Um, it made me go to the design uh, museum. I'd never even thought that it would be something interesting to me, but I loved it. Um, so the design museum in L London really made me start thinking about things differently. Um, the other book that I think a lot of people have probably already read if you've done global roles, but I loved was The Culture Map by Erin Mayer. So I started off with BP never working outside the UK and, and suddenly was on calls with Germans, Italians, Indians, uh, Americans. and you know, we all work differently and those stereotypes sometimes can cloud how you operate and communicate. So the culture map really helps um, give you some kind of pointers and some sort of signposts. And then one of the other ones, which I've got to mention because I met him recently and I was, mm. I fangirled all over him, which I think was embarrassing because I was like, I love all your books, um, is uh, a chap called Dave Trott and his book, Predatory Thinking. Um, and he's wrote, written a number of books, but his uh, Predatory Thinking, I read about five six years ago and uh, he's just he's so funny and he's a bit snarky and he's um he's just brilliant so uh as i said uh, those are the three that immediately come to come to mind as is ones that i you know I, I pencil and pen all over so uh and yeah. that for me is a mark of a good book yeah that's a good sign uh no i don't know dave Trott. i'm gonna I'm, I'm now marking it down that's that's gonna what i'm gonna add to that list but no delusions of, no, sorry, not the design of everyday things is so good it's it's what I loved about it back when I was kind of pretending I was going to get into UX and, and user experience and interface stuff or information architecture more than anything else was this idea that, you know, that we take for granted the things in front of us that they, you know, God came down and said, here, this is a valve here. This is a button here. This is a switch and this is the way it has to be And our love of all things consistent that they all have to be the same buttons. And I think the story he tells in that book is how in um, I think it's a it's a it's a nuclear reactor where they literally have one of those where all the tap all the levers are different beer taps because the beer taps are different shapes and so there's a muscle memory that goes into grabbing a certain beer tap and realizing oh is that the right one and you might go oh my goodness it's a horrible idea to mix nuclear fission and beer taps obviously that's a horrible idea <laughs> but the idea of baking into this idea of you can make that lever be anything why not make it more useful why not add more value to it by saying look this lever does not feel like other levers so therefore you it's much less likely you'll pull the wrong one so to me that was the the the, the immediate story i remember from that book 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And and it's when you read these type of examples, you're like, wow. As you said, you you sometimes wonder why is that button there, or why how is that mm-hmm. why is that shaped like it is. So mm-hmm. it, it's 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 absolutely fascinating. Can I just mention one more because I wouldn't Please. be doing um, oh my goodness yes my self service. You know, one of the areas and why why do I love the, the the space that we work in is there's been more and more attention to that whole. Um, empathy and belonging and mm. uh, inclusion i'm not going to use the word diversity because i personally don't like that word I, I don't i think it's lost its power and it's really fairly redundant there is nothing mm. that you don't have diverse people yeah. um, but that's a different call um but i think one of the the books that's really helped me flex my own kind of empathy muscle and and, and sort of um really think about things um and give me an articulation that perhaps i was lacking is a book um called the memo by Minda Hartz. You know um, what? You are like the third person in my Twitter feed to mention that. The people who've read that just adore it. So I'm going to, yeah. Tell, tell me what that, that, that book said to you. What was, how did it speak to you? Yeah. So I, I'm somebody that, you know, if you follow me on social, on LinkedIn or, or Twitter mm-hmm. or Insta, I talk a lot about inclusion. Uh, I've talked about belonging and inclusion, you know, for the last eight, nine years from a personal experience, you know, as a, as a female, second generation, uh, parents were Indian. So kind of very much a, uh, a, a sort of a, a personal journey, but it's also been something that because I've worked in big corporates my entire life, big, big brands, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. but more often than not, I'm normally, uh, they'll typically have been um, the only woman of color in certain meetings. Mm-hmm. Now, that's changing slightly, but only slightly in, 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 in very small, small kind of percentages. Um, I failed to have the, the sort of articulation to describe um, how that should change. Now, we've all seen the decks from the Baines and the McKinsey's and the mm-hmm. Deloitte's of this world. But again, that's data, data, data. You know, how do you articulate the feeling? Minda's book, um, and she's just such a powerful speaker and um, such an amazing writer, really gives you that language of change. And also, although it's written from a, uh, and quite rightly so, uh, from, from a very American-centric sense mm-hmm. um because that's you know what, what the kind of the book's angle is it's it really helps you think about okay a lot of this is institutional it's not just about a, an experience that you just see go loud on twitter um and then you forget about it this is um generations and and, and decades of sort of institutionalized bias so i think what did the book give me a it, it made me feel less alone because although I'm, I'm not um, a black American woman, a lot of the experiences that she described and, and felt and um, articulated, I could absolutely um, uh, identify with. But also, yeah. it's not just about me and Minda identifying and as- associating these experiences. Is you know, it's how do you provoke change? So it gave mm-hmm. me a language that you know. Um, that I perhaps was lacking to talk in more senior meetings, which I have that space for already, but to talk about it in a, in a more knowledgeable way. But yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant book and she's a brilliant um, writer and, uh, you know, follow her on Twitter if you're not already. Big, big, big fan. Yeah. And I think that concept of sparking change as a skill set is so discounted. We don't, you know, we, we think that we're experts in employer brand or we're experts at, at culture mapping or we're experts, you know, the experts at this, 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 but really, you know, what we need to be is, is helping people see a, a better future, helping people see that this thing that is new, this thing that is unusual, this thing that they may never have considered actually can save them money, time, heart, soul, what have you. And, and creating the space for that change is a lot of work. And I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to have to add that to my list of, of books to consider. 
Yeah, and I think don't we we benefit by the fact that sometimes because you can either look at this look at this as negative that oh mm-hmm. employer branding is so large and so broad and often we get thrown a mm-hmm. hundred things to fix you know go, give it to TA give it to EB but if we kind of go large on our curiosity if we go large in shaping what are the things that we can fix we can then you know straddle culture and employee experience employee engagement versus you know perhaps if you're sitting just in TA or, or mm-hmm. recruitment if you will you are quite pigeonholed by what you can influence and change. So yeah. I, I've been trying to think about and, and, and view employer branding over the last you know, four or five years as, okay, yes, it is really broad, but that, that allows you more room to play. Yeah. Um, yes, prioritization is important. Of course it is. And you know, I'm a massive advocate of that, but let's, let's work it to our advantage because we can work in culture and employee experience because everything we do from a value prop perspective influences culture and employee experience. Of course it does. Exactly, exactly. And it, it, it's, it's interesting, we play this game of macro and micro where we think, okay, today I have to rewrite this job posting, which is gonna be seen by, you know, let's do some very gentle math, you know, a thousand people, only a people, hundred people apply to it. And you're thinking, or I can make this massive commercial that a million people will see. And you can get caught in that micro versus macro fight to mm-hmm. say, how do I make it the biggest possible splash? But if you take the thing you're looking at and you say, how do I make the micro macro? How do we say, well, if I'm rewriting this joint job posting, how do I actually make a system where all the job posting change? And suddenly it's not 1,000 people seeing, it's 10,000 or 100,000 people seeing it. How does that filter into some of the larger uh, conversations I'm having and the, the direction I'm trying to push the company in? And finding ways to say, yes, because I have access to all these tiny, tiny, tiny little details and all these tiny little projects, how do I create macro change? How do I create systemic change? And I think mm. that's the, the tension I always look for in terms of how do you, as one person, and I, and I don't know if this is a particularly uh, kind term, but I had a boss who always referred to it as one man invading China, right? The, the impossible task that you're given to say, make everything happen, but you're not going to get the resources. That's how you make that happen is that you can't lament the fact that you don't have the budget and the people and the staff and the the what and how you know you have you and so what are you going to do to make that change happen how do you maximize your time spent on this little project how do you make sure that it has legs how do you make sure that it it has a trickle down effect that really makes the impact you're looking for all right I have one last question because I know yep. we're kind of on the edge of time here, but I think this it's actually a good segue. Um, you have worked on some pretty intensely great brands. Um, I, you know, and I've been having conversations with uh, Elena Valentine, who I know you're friends with as well. Um, and we talk about, She's amazing. Pe- Big fan. She is, and I'm not going to say nice things about her anymore. I, my, my, feel, my feelings on that subject are well known and well documented, <laughs> um, and no need to give her a big head. So, um, which is so unlikely. <laughs> um, you know, we talk about people we work with, and we talk, you know, this idea that their superpower is not my superpower, but the ability to recognize someone else's superpower to say, ah. Their superpower is not mine, but I respect that they can do something I can't is really fundamental to doing great work. And so I wonder, Charu, what is your superpower at work? Ooh, goodness. Um, you see, I mean, I mean, there is no roadmap for BP. There's no roadmap for Unilever. There's no roadmap for the stuff that you did. What made... What gave you the, 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 the ability? What gave you the, the, the guts? What gave you the, you know, the skill to say, how do I move the needle and how do I make things happen? What, is the, what did you bring to the table that other people weren't? Yeah, so I, I think there's, there's two things. I'm, I believe, and, and I've been told, 
that I'm hugely empathetic. So mm. um, I, I, I'm very, um, very conscious about that. Why are we doing things mm. in all the things that we've talked about? You know, whether it's big brand, small brand, little brand, more, no budget, big budget. It's really easy to lose sight of why are you doing things. So I'm very empathetic to we're trying to talk to people, not consumers or candidates. Mm. These are humans and these are people. So I think, you know, my, my empathy, um, which is tireless and, and, and a big part of me and my core has is, is made me stand out. But also um, I'm quite I'm very, I'd say, resilient. So in all the organizations you talked about, they're they're very interesting, great places to learn. I've learnt lots from the people I've worked with there and for, but they're often, more often than not, very hard to make a change happen mm -hmm. because you've got so many different people to convince and yeah. so many different layers. So I'm, I'm a very resilient individual. Um, I've had to be, and in, 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 so I think those two muscles, that empathy muscle um, and the resilient are, are my two um, superpowers, I believe. That's 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 interesting. I, I'm I'm not going to name names here because it's it's unnecessary. But I was talking to somebody, and I said, you know, if you could work with, you know, or if you could work on any brand, you could. And they they said at Unilever. I said Unilever. Why Unilever? And they said because it moves so fast. And I said, yeah, no, I know people who work in Unilever, <laughs> and they say it takes it, it to them. It feels like it takes forever to make change because it's such a big company and and so many different layers and so many different pieces, like you said. That you know, it's interesting how. On the outside, it seems like suddenly someone snaps their fingers and suddenly they have this influencer campaign that's blowing up the Instagram. But mm -hmm. internally, it took 17 conversations to convince people that this made sense. And so, uh, you know, the the sense that what you see on the inside and what you see on the outside are two very different things. So the resiliency thing, I think, is fascinating. I think absolutely telling, um, you know, to be employer branding is about series of tiny little wins and a series of, of, of tiny little victories, sometimes not necessarily knowing that you're, that they're leading somewhere, just having faith that they're going in the right direction. I think that's, I think that, that makes a lot of sense that empathy and, and resiliency are your superpowers. Yeah. So it was a very good question, actually. I, it wasn't one I was expecting, but I think to, to that, um, I don't think Unilever is any different to any other big global organization. Right. And it's right. the right thing to do things when you're trying to um, do anything externally. If you have to bring, you have to bring the internal individuals along with you. And especially mm -hmm. in the last 10 years where you simply can't afford to do things like a campaign externally until your internal employees and brand ambassadors have faith in mm. what you're saying. Um, it, that's where it goes horribly wrong if you're saying one yeah. thing externally. So um, the 17 conversations probably, I was grinning when you said 17, I thought I was like more like 77, <laughs> but we'll, I'll give you the 17. <laughs> but you, when, if you get there in the end, that's what matters. Um, but, yeah. uh, I, I, and I think it's that, again, I use the word prioritization about 20 times, but I think again, it's that being agile um, in, in when you, where you can and where it's needed. There's no point creating a, and I've seen this happen, I won't mention the organization, mm -hmm. taking a year to create a video um, because you've had so many stakeholders sign things off when actually you mm -hmm. need something neat and quick and, and, and sort of impactful, uh, working with an Elena Valentine to get something out within two and a half weeks yeah. um, versus getting out something that's beautiful and, and cost a lot of money, but it's taken a year to actually reach a, reach a candidate's eyes. Yeah. Um, so being agile where you can and, and it needs to be. Yeah.
Well, sure. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for being on this podcast. I'm I'm really hopeful we can do this again in the near future. I know you've got some stuff changing in, on your side of the world. So uh, once you figure out what the next steps are and where you're headed, I would love to continue this conversation. If you don't know Charu, if you don't follow her on Twitter and LinkedIn, we'll do so. But I'm going to let her tell you the best way to, to find her online. Yes. Yeah, so first of all, James, thanks. Been an absolute pleasure. Love the conversation. And anyone that's listening, if you want to hear me more talk about employer branding or just and you listen to, and well, let's, I, I hope so. Uh, and I'm always keen to listen um, and hear and learn. Learning is something I'm, I'm very curious about. If you've got any book recommendations, because I am a bookworm, please uh, connect with me on LinkedIn or follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm CM underscore Charu. And, um, you know, let's let's be connected. And, and James and I feel like I, I know you really well, but we've never met. So I think that's the power no, of, really. of um, our digital connections and uh, um, a big digital hug winging its way your way, James, because I really enjoy this conversation. Thank you so much. And, and, and vibes and hugs your way, too, obviously. And if there's anything I can do, you just let me know. But thank you so much for being on the podcast and being a part of this. Um, and just kind of for everybody else, we're heading close to 200 episodes of this crazy podcast that I started because I felt like talking for half an hour without being interrupted. Um, I, there's some changes afoot. Changes are in the process. I'm starting to think about where this goes and what I want this to be. So you know, the, the, the monologuing may be coming towards an end. So, you know, you're welcome, I think. So this has been fascinating to have a great conversation with someone I knew I didn't have to work hard to ha keep the conversation going. Um, so thank you, Chiru, for being part of this. Brilliant. Thanks, right. James. Thanks, everyone. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you later next week. Bye. This has been an episode of the Talent Cast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you'd like to get in touch with me, a couple ways to do that. Obviously, there's Twitter at The War for Talent. You can go to the podcast website at thetalentcast.com. If you'd like to stay up to date on the news of this industry and what's going on, just go to employerbrand.news and sign up for the email newsletter with lots of news and links to other places. If you just want to connect with me on LinkedIn and just say hello or let's just talk, that's linkedin.com slash in slash The War for Talent. Or I bet if you just search for James Ellis, I'd pop up pretty quick. Otherwise, if you have any questions, concerns, considerations, ideas for podcasts, holler at me. Let me know what's going on. Thank you if you've shared it. Please share if you haven't. Rate us, review us. I love all that stuff. It really does help kind of keep the message going and get the message out there. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next week. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.